Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to God is Gray, the podcast. Although I, as a Christian, believe that God resides in absolute truth, in black and white, we as people are stuck here on planet Earth contending with the gray. In church, gray areas often cause dissension, anger, and even hate. But on this platform, I welcome open dialogue, variety of opinion, and differing belief systems. God is Gray is meant to teach, inform, and simply trade stories with kindness, love, and mutual respect. If you have a story or perspective to share, please reach me, Brenda Marie Davies, at GodIsGrayXO at gmail.com. To support the cause and be a part of our community, donate to patreon.com slash gray. Now, on to the episode. Hi, beautiful people. Today I'm sharing an interview between myself and the writer and director of Yes, God, Yes, Karen Maine. This is a very delightful conversation. We get into female pleasure and some of our childhood secrets, AOL chat rooms, and definitely a lot about exploring and discovering sexual pleasure. For females, I know this has been very difficult for us growing up in the indoctrination of purity culture, and I haven't left out the men in this conversation. Karen and I both talked about how purity culture does affect men and the need to be impeccably self-controlled and never touch yourself. Anyone that hasn't already seen my video on masturbation, you might want to check that out in alignment with this video because I do talk a lot about biblically why I believe it's sound and we are permitted to have pleasure and explore pleasure on our own and with our partner. And also Natalia gets into some of the details about what it was like to direct this film and to talk to Natalia about pleasure and some of the other characters to really give them insight and to share their own experiences about what it's like to grow up in this culture where religion makes us feel uncomfortable, repressed, shameful of our sexuality, which is something that is so normal and natural. So I hope anyone listening to this conversation will feel less of a freak, if that's how you feel, that you'll feel normal for having these desires and sensations. And in the future, I will definitely be talking more about sex education and having a holistic view of sexuality and how you yourself can create a sexual ethic that is healthy and appropriate and really aligns with what you believe is right for you, your spirituality, your faith, etc. And I hope you enjoy this conversation. If you would prefer to just listen to it, check it out on the God is Great podcast. And that's it. I love you all so much. God bless. So everyone, this is Karen Maine. She is the director and writer of Yes, God, Yes. So I have been given permission from your publicist to ask you questions about sexuality and masturbation and like kind of your personal life. I really want to talk about filmmaking and your process and writing, but also I would love to talk about our personal experiences with... Yeah, yeah. we don't even have to talk about filmmaking. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I'm giving you permission now to ask me anything you want. I'm very open. 
I really love that. I really appreciate that. Um, okay, so for anyone that hasn't seen the movie yet, um, I highly recommend. I think that, you know, we talk a lot about representation in film, and I know myself and everyone else that, like, survived purity culture just felt very seen by this movie and felt like we could actually relate to it in a very deep way. So I know this is semi-autobiographical for you. Was this, like, truly based in your story? Yes. Um, I'm from Des Moines, Iowa. I grew up in the suburbs. Um, it's a very homogenous, uh, very segregated, very Christian, mostly Catholic um, area of the country. Um, and I went to Catholic school for 12 years, kindergarten through, I guess that's, 13 years I'm not sure kindergarten through the end of high school through 12th grade okay um and went through all the like confirmations or or not confirmations um thank you oh my god (laughs) you're gonna be so much better Catholic (laughs) myself yeah (laughs) I I was listening to your masturbation thing that you just linked to before this for like a couple minutes I didn't finish it but I was like oh no she really knows her stuff um yeah I did all the sacraments um minus you know the ones you do later in life like I never was ordained um and I haven't died um but yeah uh I went to very I'd say pretty strict Catholic school in Iowa um where we were taught yeah not to not to have sex before marriage um, that being gay was very sinful and would send you to hell. Pam Stenzel, the abstinence-only motivational speaker of, like, the 90s and Pam the aughts. Stenzel, oh, my <laughs> God. Came to our school, and I was, like, I remember sitting there and being, like, oh, my God. Like, I'm never having sex. It's not worth it. I might die. <laughs> um, and I definitely lost my virginity, like, a year later. Uh, so it all just went out the window. But the good thing is that, you know, we didn't have sexual education at my school. We were taught how to reproduce. Um, and that line from the film that men are like microwaves and women are like conventional ovens was literally said to us. Um, but other than that, well, let's see here. Slides of STDs and a partial birth abortion video that we watched in a class called Morality that we had to get permission slip signed by our parents to watch it because it was so graphic. So that was the extent of our... <laughs> sex ed um i learned how a condom worked because my friend who transferred from a public school showed me how to roll it down the stick shift of her car (laughs) that's probably not an accurate portrayal of what you're about to see in the world (laughs) thank god a stick shift is a little large for me personally (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah but i got the gist of it but yeah it would yeah yeah for sure (laughs) well you just touched on a lot of different things one of Um, One of the main points that Pam Stenzel and a lot of these fear-based messages brought up are these, like, comparing our bodies, our sexuality to objects, calling us roses that lose our petals, candy bars that are less than conventional ovens, like... Yeah, like, lollipops that have been, like, unwrapped and then, like, fell on the floor. No one's going to want that lollipop. (laughs) Awful. You pretty sure you can clean the lollipop off, too, if you need to. I know, it's really, it's, it's caused a lot of damage having women believe that their bodies could actually be this disgusting, like, if you pull a lollipop off of the floor and offer it to a classroom full of boys, and they're all like, ew, I don't want to eat that, it's appropriate if it's a lollipop on the floor. It's 
disgusting and diminishing and awful if we're saying that that is a female body. Totally. Totally. Yeah. You also talked a lot about fear, which is so fascinating and ironic to me because I'm still a Christian. So I, I love the Bible and it's something that I read and fear, fear not is said over 90 times in the Bible or some variation of that. And it's so ironic that our sexuality, our pleasure, and our religion is often based on fear. Yeah. So you sound like you really got a healthy dose of that. Would you say that your sexual ethic, quote unquote, was based on like you navigating the world with that fear or trying to release yourself of that fear? Yeah, probably. I mean, now we're entering like deep psychological territory. Um, but yeah, I mean, because it was anything I did that was sexual um, as a like teen um, or preteen, I yeah, it was wrapped up in guilt and fear and shame. Um, and I'm sure, you know, I haven't even begun to unpack that as an adult, <laughs> what that's done to my uh, sex life as an adult. Um, but I'm sure there is some impact there. I don't, I don't know how you can ever like fully separate the two. Um, I've done a lot of like educating myself. So I feel like um, consciously I'm pretty aware of it and healthy. Um, but who knows yeah, what's going on in the depths of, of my psyche. Um, but yeah, you know, anytime, you know, it wasn't just God too. It was like the fear of like, when you have like a, a grandparent die, they'd always say like, they're watching over you, which is something you'd always hear about God. And then you'd think that your grandma watched you like, you know, uh, pleasure yourself with a Mr. Potato Head vibrator, which I definitely used in my, in my teen years, you know, you have to get creative when you don't have access to, you know, I don't know, sex toys. Um, but yeah, for sure. Like fear, I feel like, especially with Catholicism, like, um, my husband's Jewish and I've, I've done a lot of studying on Judaism and I feel like the sense of shame and fear isn't quite as big in, in that, um, yeah. religion as it's like, there's no concept of hell really in Judaism and hell is always this thing that, you know, is hangs over a young Catholic's head who doesn't, you know, I didn't have a lot of out like external sources to like challenge me to think critically about this stuff. So I sort of took everything that was told to me, completely seriously and was very scared of of hell it was like i literally believed it would be hot horrible things would happen there like the devil would be there like it's crazy but it's i i I believed it all no i know i mean indoctrination is is real um i was thinking when you're talking about your processing the pain and the things you've gone through i'm a writer myself too so did you find writing this script cathartic Definitely, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's Was definitely that, been that cathartic. Feeling like quite healing in any way, or what? What kind of things do you learn about yourself through the process? Um, I mean, I learned a lot about myself through the process. Nothing really yeah. like specifically relating to religion or sexuality, um, but it was cathartic in the sense that you know this was a, a part of my life that I got to kind of look back and address, and beyond just writing it, like being able to talk about it and meet other people who are just people online who said to me, like, you, this was my experience. You nailed it. Like, thank you so much. Like, um, I, I wish I had this movie as a, a young girl growing up. Um, those things are all like really important to me. Um, and make me feel like I did something to 
even a small thing to just like better someone's life in some small way. Um, I, I think it's, I think even beyond like religious, uh, like repression, um, or communities that are raised religious, um, not communities, people in those communities, um, can relate to this because female sexual pleasure, I think even outside of religion is, isn't really discussed. Um, and usually, you know, male pleasure is way, way more out there because you have to orgasm to have a child. And that's sort of what is discussed in any reproduction course. Um, I think probably even public schools where they don't teach abstinence only, they probably don't cover female orgasms. Maybe some do, which is amazing, but I don't think it's as, as prevalent as the male orgasm. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right on that. I think I'm, I'm an advocate for comprehensive sex education, which is something that is horribly lacking in our country. And one part of uh, comprehensive sex education is the notion of pleasure. And it's really wild. People are so remiss to teach women in fundamentalism or Catholicism, whatever, um, that they must pleasure their man or they must be sexually available to somebody and at the same time not help him understand if you want your woman to be sexually available make sex amazing for her and she'll be yeah. available a hell of a lot more for yeah you know? totally totally yeah um i i don't want to get into natalia dyer's personal life because i don't want you to have to speak on her behalf but i am curious if you found you yourself having to walk her through some of these experiences or explain these things to her or if she had like an understanding of the, the concept going into the film the concept of christianity the concept of um yeah all the fear and shame and all the indoctrination right. that right. came around that because i have um, secular friends that are just like what's the big deal why is this so hard for you and everything you're describing is like your grandmother's watching god is watching you're gonna go to hell like people outside of religious circles it's hard to comprehend sometimes yeah yeah definitely no natalia i think definitely got it um without i mean i i explained specifics about you know i i mean she was raised religious too um i think i think she was raised in a christian um household or school or both in the south um, oh, and I think man. she had a little bit, I think it wasn't quite as intense for her. I, I don't remember the specifics. I know she's talked about it in interviews, so you, you can find it online if anyone's wondering. Um, but I think she didn't spend all 12 years of school in a religious school. Um, but I, other than, other than that, I don't know. Um, but I think so, but to an extent, I think she understood the shame and the, you know, repression and, and how female sexual pleasure isn't discussed and women often are left feeling shameful when they discover those things because they don't have any roadmap for it. Um, and, you know, I, other than explaining like very specific things about my school and my life and, and, and things I experienced, which, you know, I would say the script's definitely autobiographical to an extent. Yeah, um, but say, I shared. Go to a summer camp and everything. Is this actually oh, yeah. an experience? Oh yeah. Oh, that was no summer camp. That makes it sound so flowery and lovely. That was a very like rigorous, manipulative retreat called Kairos <laughs> that still happens today. That I have very strong feelings about. Uh, very negative feelings about um, because it essentially. I mean, we're segueing a little here, but the retreat essentially 
takes away your phone and your watch um, and maybe like a laptop or a tablet now. I don't know, but because um, they still go on today and they they really don't let you talk with your fellow um, retreat goers. They they put you in separate rooms. I've noticed some people commenting on like my film and reviews and be like the rooms at our retreat weren't that nice we'd have to like stay in bunk beds like the whole purpose of that is you have to be like solitary and alone with your thoughts um and they they slowly like through upperclassmen who are leaders and teachers they give speeches to you about their like really personal traumas or like hardships in their life and these were serious things abuse alcoholism like really crazy things. Um, and you're like, why is a stranger telling this to me? So you get this, you build this trust up with them and you feel good that someone's telling you something so, so secret. And, um, then they like, you're, you're like, then they basically, then they encourage you to, to tell your own story and you're like desperate to talk to someone and they let you do exercises. Like we cut something from the film, but there's this, there's this hug circle exercise where, there's like one bigger circle of people and one inner circle of people and the retreat retreatants retreaters. I don't know what the proper word is there have to stand there with their arms at their side and their eyes closed and people go around and hug them and you can't hug them back. So it's all, I think that summarizes it like really well. Like, like you're, you're given all these good feelings, but you can't like reciprocate. And then at the end they, they sort of force you into this relationship with Jesus. Cause that's all you have. Um, and it, it worked, it worked on me at the time. Um, it's only like as an adult that I'm like, oh my gosh, that's, I don't know. That's pretty manipulative. Um, but yeah, so yeah, that's a very real retreat. Okay. So let's get into fun, like dirty details of what we've both been through because I know we can relate to each other. Um, a funny experience, like anyone that doesn't know that's a younger generation than Karen and I. AOL was such a big part of my sexual awakening, and I feel like it was for you, too, because we had all this innocence. No one really knew what the Internet was about yet. We didn't know that there could be predators or just mean-spirited people. I kind of had the same naivete that we saw in the Alice character in the movie. And I remember I was, like, flirting with this boy on AOL chats, and... He asked me to send him a picture, and I snail mailed him a picture because I did it back then. And he disappeared and never chatted with me. And I finally wrote him an email and was like, "What happened to you?" And he was like, "You're ugly. I don't want to talk to you anymore." Oh, no. oh my god, that's awful. Yeah. I also noticed something that I related to in your film as well, which you had. You seem to have visually at least an obsession with uh wolfgang's character's arm hair mm. you seem very like titillated by this masculine hair on his arms for me what always got to me was adam's apples like jordan Catalano in my so-called life used to like uh, lean against his locker and his adam's apple would come out and i would just die over it yeah so he's, was it he's... arm hair for you is that what we're saying well arm hair thing's really interesting because like I'm, I, I don't remember what my thing was as, like, a girl. Like, I think it was probably some kind of hair, but it might have been, like, just regular head hair or... I don't know. This, the, the arm hair thing is, like, an adult Karen thing. Um, I used to okay. work in book publishing, <laughs> and I work at a bookshop as part of that, and I was unpacking books one day, and that Stanley Tucci cookbook came in, 
where he has his sleeves rolled up and his arms just kind of crossed. And Stanley Tucci, I think, has, like, some of the best arm hair. Um, and that's sort of, like, I just found myself, like, all right, maybe I won't show that one quite yet. Like, I'm just going to leave it on the counter here while I work, just so I can, you know, look at it every once in a while and sort of, you know, working at a bookshop is not always that, that exciting. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, from that, I decided to, like, add that element into the script. Um, but I don't have a specific memory. I think I was just attracted to literally everything about boys um, at that time. I just, yeah everything well yeah to the point that you were talking about before we got disconnected um of kind of cultivating in these groups this high high level of intimacy and secret telling and lots and lots of talk about sex lots of talk about sex and yet everyone is like having all these feelings and emotions and the talk is obsessive but at the same time it's the obsession with not having sex right and i think that I think as a preteen, from my experience, everything is heightened already, like the emotions you feel and, and how obsessed you can get with a, a boy or someone that you like. Um, but then shutting that door and kind of being like, okay, but you're also not allowed to think of them this way. Even the thought policing, you're not about allowed to be like lusting in your head. I know. Spinning. Yeah. So much anxiety that's produced in, in yes. during a very normal, natural phase of life. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's a really, I mean, you bring up a good point, like the inner turmoil of being Catholic and like the guilt around that and, and feeling like just these thoughts you have are, are sinful. Um, and it's something you feel so ashamed of. Like you don't really tell people like, I, I forget who I was talking to the other day, but we were talking about how like when you go to like confess to a priest as like a young person, you, you would never want to say, like, what you actually did. So you just, like, make things up. Um, right. But that's, like, how, how bad it was. Like, even the thought of being, like, I had, like, an impure thought was too much um, to even admit out loud when you're supposed to. Um, so the shame goes even that far. Like, it's so shameful. You don't even want to say it to be forgiven for it. Um, and, yeah, so I, I would just tell priests that, like, I... Um, like talk back to my parents or like normal kind of stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I, what I wanted to get at in Yes, God, Yes was really like find a way to show Alice's internal struggle uh, because it is like an internal problem, uh, which is very difficult to do in film. Um, and you really need a good actor uh, to do that. Thankfully, we had a very terrific one. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, it's very, it's, it's, it, it's a lot of, it's a lot of like psyche uh, turmoil, for sure. Yeah, I wanted I um I see that you have ninety two percent on Rotten Tomatoes, which is amazing. Congratulations! Yeah, it's crazy. I still can't um, believe it. But I, yeah, it's amazing. Um, but I wanted to read you. There was a couple really good um, what's it called comments on it. And I like that this one person said, Maine's film captures something indelible about adolescent female desire without condescending or objectifying because she understands subjectively what it looks and feels like, all the confusion and shame, but yes, also the pleasure. Um, I thought that really summed up Natalia's performance and the script that you wrote. 
And then the other thing was someone said um, that your film had empathy for all characters, that it was not cruel or condescending. Um, despite the breathtaking unfairness perpetuated by so many characters under the pretext of fate, the film shows remarkable empathy, not only for Dyer's heroine, but also for everyone around her. And I'm not trying to make this interview about myself, but I did relate to it again because I went to a Christian summer camp one summer, and um, it was wild because I went with two of my best friends, and it was there was this really, really beautiful 12-year-old girl. We were all 12, so we were in this perfect moment where we were all starting to really have our sexual awakenings, go through puberty. And there were camp counselors that were just so horny for each other. There was <laughs> And it was just so obvious that they were off doing... How old were the counselors? Home. Like 16? Yeah. Or, yeah. They were, I think they, they were definitely... No, they were 12. 21 or something and the reason that is yeah it gets worse because (laughs) there was this big like hubbub one day and all this drama and this guy who was clearly having sex with his girlfriend ended up getting kicked out of camp and everyone was like then what happened turned out that he had written a love letter to this beautiful 12 year old girl talking about his desire for for her and all this stuff. Oh my god. That gets into some dark territory, except it's just an interesting combination of emotions for all of us at camp because, yes, 12 year olds are obviously far below like consenting age, consensual age, not okay. But I just remember all of our intrigue about sexuality had been built so high and we've been talking about sex the entire week and how not to have sex that when this handsome older man hit on our friend, like, most of us just felt jealous of that attention. Additionally, it really rocked all of our world. We were like, wait, you guys are teaching us all of these concepts, but are you abiding by them? Because I'm pretty sure you and your girlfriend were having sex, and now you're writing an erotic love letter to one of us. Right. So my whole point being, um, I read this comment that you got where you, it said that you had a lot of, like, compassion and empathy for the characters in your movie, we're teaching these harmful concepts and you know how how gracious that was of you I guess I was kind of wondering like what your process was did you have to work through elements of like forgiving the people that hurt you or acknowledging that they were going through their own pain yeah I think it's more the latter um okay yeah I mean I'm trying to think of like there are definitely teachers and priests that I knew that I I still like. I don't have like, that's really interesting. I haven't really thought about it. I don't have like, I don't think I have like deep like hatred for any of them. And I do think now as an adult, I have a lot of compassion for them. Um, And I think I was really conscientious of that when I was writing it and filming it. Um, Because I don't think Catholicism is just unfair to young women. (laughs) It's unfair, especially when it comes to sex, to a lot of people, including priests, probably, you know, and and nuns, uh, first and foremost, um, because they're supposed to abstain forever. Um, but they don't even get to have sex when they, because they can't get married. Um, uh. And I, I think that is, I, I do have a lot of compassion for them, because, you know, I didn't want this priest in my film to be someone who, you know, is 
going more of the like spotlight route. Like I didn't want to delve into that area of, of horribleness. Um, and I think it, a person who is a person of faith who believes that masturbation is a sin, uh, probably feels really bad when they masturbate. Um, and that was something Tim Simons and I talked a lot about who plays father Murphy. Cause you know, we, we shot a scene where he's, you know, masturbating and we cut it down quite a bit in the film because it, you know, I mean, we didn't want to show too much of that. Um, once we started editing, but like we talked about that scene and like what the character would be thinking and, and all that stuff. Um, and that, you know, you, you have, you have these desires that are innate and all, I mean, we all have them and, and then we're told not to do them. And I think it's probably particularly difficult for someone who, who is chosen to be in the profession of priesthood. <laughs> Forever. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I met a couple of nuns uh, last summer and I was really blown away by how genuinely happy and fulfilled they seemed to be happy. Yeah. They had this really like, passionate uh love affair romance with god is is how they had described it to me and that did open my eyes because i growing up in purity culture i think feel differently than you i had a lot of anger to process through um and it's and also because darkness does happen within these like repressive things whether or not it's a person's personal repression or like it manifests in other ways, like this 20 some year old guy writing a 12 year old girl, a love letter. Like you have to wonder where his sexual understanding stunted in his own growth, why he thought that was appropriate. Not to say we can fully blame pretty culture, but sometimes right. wonder how much we can or how much it does wind up manifesting into. Yeah. I think it happens quite a lot. Uh, I think, I think if the Catholic Church in particular would would uh, move a you know move away from uh, letting or making priests be celibate, uh, it it wouldn't erase all the you know horrible abuse that's rampant in that um, area. But I think it I think it would diminish it somewhat. Um, and so you know I think it's interesting. The Catholic Church has got a really interesting point because I I always hear a lot of people saying it's like getting more progressive because this Pope is so cool. And he yeah. said at one point that like, who am I to judge when he was talking about um, queer people? Um, but he never said like, you can be queer or you can get married. Like you can be sexually queer. Like is there always a distinction between like being clear, queer and then like acting on it sexually, which I find really interesting. Um, especially with what we were talking about earlier about how like thoughts are sinful too. So like, you know what I mean? It's just, yeah. Um, it, <laughs> it might be moving toward that realm, but it or toward a more progressive place, but it's moving really, really slowly. Um, but I think it's interesting what you're saying about like how all the girls at your camp were like jealous that, that this girl had this, this older man's attention. And, um, even the girl was like really stoked about it. And I think at, at least from my experience growing up, we were sort of taught that like, male attention is something you strive toward. And that's like a goal. Like you, you dress for men, you do things for, you know, so I totally get that. Like, I, I'm sure if I were in that position, I probably would have felt the same way. 
Um, and I've had similar experiences. I wasn't quite that young, but I, I, when I was like 17, um, with like a, a mid twenties, 26, I think. Um, and I was so like infatuated with him, but the second it like, we like kissed and like maybe more was going to happen. I was like immediately freaked out. Cause I just wasn't prepared for that. Um, so I just think it's really interesting that like, yeah, I mean, we're taught to, to like please men from a young age. Um, but I, yeah, I just, I think that's probably what was going through, through their minds. Um, but if anything were to like <laughs> escalate, I'm sure the yeah. similar thing would have happened is my point. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I hadn't thought about that, but I do agree with it. I, I think the purity culture brings different sorts of anxieties for people according to their sex, because men really, really get it pounded in. That's <laughs> not... <laughs> <laughs> um anyway um, I love it. <laughs> men really get the message over and over again about self-restraint self-control being strong enough to avoid temptation and women really get the message that our bodies are the thing that can invite this sort of titillation and we need to hide ourselves or cover ourselves in a certain way and we need to only give peace that like erotic sense of ourselves to one person who's the quote one right you did you get those messages of like the one that you were waiting for did you pledge yourself to marriage or anything like that yeah no i never did like the the bling not the bling ring maybe <laughs> the bling ring the purity the purity ring thing ring is um, when to celebrities' houses and steal their clothes, so probably not. Right, that. right. That's a Sofia Coppola movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, um, I yeah, we never had purity rings, and I never like pledged like like I've I've read a lot about that though, and like uh, pledging, like your purity ring is with your like your dad, and then it's supposed to like be there until you like get a ring from your husband. Um, but I think we didn't have the physical rings, but the same, I mean, it, it, it's all comes from the same sort of societal understanding of young women's purity and, you know, totally, uh, patriarchy really. Yeah. What have you learned about female pleasure since you discovered female pleasure like let's get a little personal first of all i want to know did you actually discover masturbation as late on as natalia's character did no although okay i'm, I'm gonna struggle to remember the exact age it was but it was it was, it was definitely much younger but like i didn't really know it's probably 13 or 14 so not too much younger and it was definitely like I just like stumbled into it. Like, it's just so <laughs> funny. Um, and it was a Mr. Potato Head back massager. And I remember it was around Christmas time because the tree was out in my family room and I was watching Benji, which was that's definitely not like titillating in any way. Uh, don't get me wrong. I'm not like into dogs. Um, I was just <laughs> watching this lovely film and Benji reminded me of my dead dog and I found the film so boring, but I forced myself to finish it because I felt so bad that my dog was dead. And if I wasn't honoring, if I didn't finish the film, I wasn't honoring my dog. <laughs> anyway, so I forced myself to watch this really boring movie. Um, and I remember I was like alone and the Mr. Potato Head back massager was under the tree. Uh, my dad got it, I think from like an office holiday party and it was just like a gag gift or something um so I was just sitting there and I was like 
took it and started like massaging my body and obviously like got down there and I was like whoa and then like I stole it away and no one ever saw it again it just <laughs> lived in my room um but yeah my experience was like a lot like um you know like I definitely like became obsessed with it uh probably you know I didn't want to show too like if if the film were literally my life it just would have been me in my bedroom like it wouldn't <laughs> it, and that wouldn't have been very interesting um right. for anyone to watch but uh, um, I remember, yeah, like feeling really, really guilty about it. Or like the first time I had cyber sex, I think was a little bit later. And that very much happened like it does in the film. Like I was just playing an innocent word scramble game. Um, and uh, someone instant messaged me or sent me like just pictures, like half nude pictures. Um, and they're like, if you want to see more, like, let me know. And of course, I was just like, yeah, I'll see, like, because I was curious and wanted to see naked people. Um, and I said yes. Um, but I definitely, like, and then that escalated into cyber sex. And I definitely didn't, like, touch myself or anything. I was not, like, turned on by it. I was just, like, really curious. Um, and then I had to go upstairs for dinner. And I remember I just, I couldn't eat a single thing. I was so guilty and ashamed that I totally lost my appetite and I couldn't eat anything. Um, and I like distinctly remember that feeling, like the way my throat felt and the way my like chest felt and my stomach, um, just like really closed and tight. And I think it was the first time I probably like wasn't hungry ever for a reason other than being ill. You know what I mean? Um, I like, brought on some kind of illness in a way like um it was like it might have been my first yeah or my yeah. first experience like with anxiety or something you know like anyway yeah and I remember feeling that way like I, I would keep doing it <laughs> and, yeah. and then still feeling bad about um, it yeah I think uh, one of the things that makes me so sad is confirmation bias when it comes to masturbation so a lot of Christians will say if you masturbated and then you feel really guilty about it, you know that it was wrong because that's the Holy Spirit convicting you. And it's it's so complicated to get out of that headspace because you're like, or is it because adults that I trusted told me for like a decade that I was sinning and doing something terribly wrong and breaking God's heart? I remember my youth pastor told me that God cries when you masturbate. Which is insane to me and but that the thought of it made me cry i was like yeah. oh god i can't believe i've been harming god who i love so much all of these years but also one of my main arguments is that i started i discovered myself really young i think my earliest memory was maybe like five years old or something wow. which is very common for women any of you women that are that felt like a freak that's incredibly mm. common um and i remember distinctly that i had no emotion towards it de definitely no guilt no shame to me you have to be introduced to shame someone outside of yourself has to say hey that thing you're doing that you don't feel wrong about is wrong and then all of a sudden that's when you you lose your appetite and you don't feel like yourself versus to me sexual healthy ethic is all about actually getting to like get inside of yourself and figure out what convicts you as 
would say, what actually makes you feel genuinely not okay? Like, it, to me, if I watch pornography, um, is, is a line for me because I don't know where those girls are coming from. I don't know what the set is like. I don't know if people are happy in those situations. So that, to me, is this thing of conviction. It's not shame. It's just like, I feel too educated on what my behind the scenes and therefore I can't enjoy it. And and to me that's a positive thing because whatever conclusion you come to with pornography for example for your own self, I think we all really need to give ourselves and the next generation permission to check inside of ourselves because otherwise you're just doing everything out of guilt or you're putting blinders on until you get off and then all of a sudden the comes flowing right, right back started. Right. How did you start regaining a self and your own sexual ethic after all of this um i think it was largely in part to meeting some friends late in high school uh who were like a different group friend of sorry group of friends that i was <laughs> hanging out with before um and it's really like it's really like funny and cliche it's like oh like i got introduced to the beatles <laughs> Like um, but just like starting to like, it was just like a window into like a new life um, and things that I just didn't know uh, growing up. Um, and also in particular, um, I had a friend in high school, uh, I was a drama kid. And so I had a friend in high school who was gay and he was, he, this is really horrible actually. He wasn't openly gay. Um, and then he went on Kairos. Um, he didn't go on my retreat. He went on one before. But the thing he told everyone was that he was gay. And the whole thing about Kairos is it's supposed to be what happens on Kairos stays on Kairos. Like, it's like, don't, no one talks about this outside of here. And of course, everybody outed him when they got back to school. Um, so everyone knew he was gay. I knew he was gay. He was a really good friend of mine. Um, and they one of my teachers a deacon in a class called morality said that oh you know if you're if you act on being gay you're gonna go to hell in a handbasket and i just remember oh actually i had a really good friend uh in that class who like stood up to him and called him out on his bullshit and got sent to the principal's office for calling him out um wow. and i was like just like in awe in like the best way possible. Like I, she, she challenged a teacher and it was, it, it was, it was really eye opening for me. And I realized like, yeah, why? Like, that's not fair. Like he's a good person. Why can't, why does he have to go to hell? Um, and that's sort of when everything started, you know, changing. And I started like thinking um, differently about Catholicism and, you know, obviously befriended that woman. Um, he was also a drama uh, kid. <laughs> and she introduced sorry i said someone in the comments just wrote drama kids unite all yeah, of us totally sorry. um and uh she you know introduced me to a lot of other things and a lot of other ways of thinking and um i think from that i just started soaking in information from, like a sponge and really feeling like i was becoming my own person um and you know left Iowa and went to Chicago and then New York and uh, was able to just sort of form my own opinions finally by like taking in a lot of knowledge and deciding what you know aligned with what I wanted to believe and what what I what didn't um, and I just think out of that I was able to 
you know, let go of the shame around, you know, self-pleasure and sex. Um, and boy, did I. <laughs> I had some fun. <laughs> I hope my mom's well. <laughs> it was safe, mom. It's safe. <laughs> yeah, no pregnancy, no chance of STDs. Um, yeah, it, it's also crazy because like you're talking about your friend getting sent to the principal's office for what having a question like that's so mind-blowing to me too and, and that's what my platform god is gray is really built upon the permission genuine permission not just like this bs like what happens in cairo stays in cairo it's like genuine hey any question you have any doubt you have bring it to the table pottery in it it feels really wonderful when you have with other people when someone stands up and is like are we sure gay people go to hell and then four other people are like oh my god thank god someone said it i was thinking the same thing yeah. and and that's why art is so important that's why your film is so valuable i think for so many of us in purity culture and i thank you for making it and putting it out there because you know a lot of us that have survived purity culture don't get to see ourselves reflected on screen in this way that actually respects everybody involved. I think, again, that's why I was so appreciative of the empathetic view you took on the characters that were perpetuating these harmful ideas and just showing us, hey, these people are going themselves too. Yeah. Um, I think it's all really valuable. A lot of the other characters, I mean, beyond the priest are just other children, really, you know, and they don't know better. Um, but I, I think it's really interesting what you said about, about like, questioning things in Catholicism. Because I don't think that's something they like to do. Um, there's a great, there's a great knock-knock. Oh, no, it's a light bulb joke. How many Catholics does it take to change a light bulb? And the punchline is change. Um, and something that I found, like, really interesting about Judaism is it's very scholarly. They're constantly debating things. They're discussing things. They're changing things. They're willing to, like, roll you know, with, with the changing times. Um, and I think what you just said is amazing. And I, I think Catholicism and Christianity and some, some aspects or some sects of Christianity are, are much better at that. Very good at, at progressing and, and opening the door to modernity uh, or modern times. But, um, but yeah, I think Catholicism would really, really benefit from making it like a, a more um, comfortable place for people to ask questions um, even if it's, yeah, just so they can talk it through. But yeah, you're right. It's very much a culture where you feel like you shouldn't do that. Um, so yeah. that's great that you're doing that. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, let's see what else. I'm like, I could talk about female pleasure and sex all day. I think it's wonderful. And I, I think just to clarify for anyone listening, because I did repost that masturbation video that I made two years ago. I haven't watched it in a while, actually. I hope it still holds weight and like how I see things because I've learned so much over the past couple of years. But um, I just, I truly believe for women that you are able so much better to help partner pleasure you if you understand pleasure yourself. And if morally you feel like you object to that, like it's, you know, I've heard the lie that you could like only orgasm in a certain way if you get used to orgasming with a Mr. Potato Head uh, vibrator or with your own hand, then your partner won't know how or you're going to steal their ability to pleasure you. And it's 
exact opposite. Every single sex educator worth their salt knows that, you know, orgasms don't disappear. You only get more acquainted with your body and it helps you acquaint your partner with your body. Yes. Yes. Orgasms are not uh, eggs in, in your um, fallopian tubes. That's not where the eggs come from. <laughs> where do eggs come from? Oh my gosh. Ovaries. Don't... Yes. <laughs> What's wrong with me? Um, yeah. There's not like a, a definite amount of orgasms that you can have. <laughs> yeah, no. I see in people in the comments are talking about, can I be Catholic and still believe that gay people aren't going to hell? You know, the answer again to me is yes. There's yeah. a lot of there's a lot of accessible research nowadays that shows that affirmation of LGBTQ people is not only okay but appropriate and divine and more accurate than what we've been taught in the past. And then um, again, I always say this, Karen. I'm always like, if God created woman, the clitoris serves no other purpose except uh -huh. for. So how miss have we been to forget to teach, especially in all these like pre-counseling sessions that married or like about to be married couples go into in church. They're like, you should be pulling that man aside and teaching him about a clitoris and a woman's right to also, pleasure. Don't they say that con like conceiving a child is like much higher if, if the woman orgasms because of the way her like vaginal canal like like contracts that it helps in some way? I mean, I'm not a doctor, but I feel like <laughs> I feel like I've read that like if the woman if the woman orgasms, it helps in some way fertilize the egg. Someone asked someone said they like my naked lady. I just want to say it's it's a drawing by my friend named E.B. Musamalova. Um, and she's a great artist, Evie. I noticed that too. That's really beautiful. Let's, that's probably maybe a good place to round up. How do you feel about your body? Um, and, and like, whatever that encompasses for you, sexuality or, or food or anything about this concept of honor your body. I, I feel like as religious people, a lot of times, we're told this again and again and again, but at the same time, we're called to disconnect from our bodies so often, like to disconnect from pleasure. And therefore, I found for myself that that disconnection made it much more difficult to figure out healthy intakes of anything for myself, whether it be pleasure, pain, food, alcohol, like it kind of, for me, helped me go to extremes that weren't so healthy for me. So I wonder, even you having a beautiful naked picture behind you, it's like, was it a process for you to get comfortable to have something like that hanging in your house? Is it a process for you to get comfortable in the body that you have after all this indoctrination? I mean, yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> I think for the for the most part, hopefully I'm, because I'm in my mid-30s, uh, a little bit past that point but I definitely I mean it's a daily struggle don't get me wrong uh <laughs> being a woman um but uh I yeah it's it's weird to talk about it during like quarantine and stuff because I I struggle a lot with like uh dressing in any sort of revealing way and living in a city like New York and going out in public and that's obviously not something I've had to deal with lately um, but yeah, like in the heat, heat of the summer that we're in right now, um, going out, I, you know, it's just, I, I'm always very conscious of covering up 
cleavage and I never want to like reveal too much of my like too short of a skirt you know um so that's something that I still struggle with I know I should be able to wear whatever I want and embrace any part of my body that I want and show any part of the body that I want but there's still a part of me that's like I don't want to attract unwanted attention and so I'd rather just wear a turtleneck <laughs> um but yeah, I mean, I've, I've, I've gone, I went through a lot of like other stuff, like when I was, when I was younger. Um, and I think I've, I've done fairly well at, at, at that. But yeah, I definitely went through a phase where I, I, you know, had issues with hating, uh, my body. Um, but now it's more what I, what I just discussed and it is a, it's an ongoing struggle. Yeah. I think you really touched like how multifaceted those issues can be because obviously not just uh indoctrinated women feel badly about their bodies for a myriad of reasons or you know i always say that quote secular culture does have its own obsession with sex but then church culture has an obsession with not having sex and either way it translates into an obsessive nature for both and and that means what kind of body you're presenting and how large you are, or small you are, how big your boobs are, how big your, like all of it on top of not wanting to get this male attention, either because you want husband or it's like just not wanted because it's, it's too erotic and unwelcome. There's just so many different things to consider. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's a lot. Yeah. I don't know. It's just great. I really encourage everyone to go watch this wonderful movie. Yes, God, yes. And, um, you know, Natalia does a beautiful job playing the tormented but pleasured woman that I feel like a lot of us in the God is a Great community will see ourselves in her. And there's another <laughs> little euphemism I did not. <laughs> Don't see yourself in her. Don't curve out. Just be part of the story. And um, <laughs> and for anyone that's outside of purity culture, I think this will give you a really good example of what it feels like, especially I hear from a lot of people that are partnered up with less indoctrinated into purity culture people. Like, I don't know if this is anything you and your husband faced, but even having to align with someone that doesn't have the same belief system or didn't grow up the same way as you. I think this movie would be valuable to get a peek into some of the stress and trauma that us that we experience in this culture and can maybe help facilitate some conversation and facilitate something. Totally. Yeah. I've I've already heard that from a lot of people and like my brother and his wife watched it. My brother grew up like me and she was like, this all like happened to you and obviously he's not a woman, but like he went through all the same things and and my husband and i yeah definitely and i've had friends who like grew up jewish who watched it and were like what so so yeah hopefully and and the fact that it's like 80 percent out of like completely ripped from my life like it's not it's not i mean it's fictional but it's like it's based on real real things so like this stuff actually happens to a lot of kids um and i see someone's asking where they can watch it and it's on itunes amazon um, all the like VOD on demand, like cable type things, um, like Spectrum or Warner Brothers or Time Warner or whatever they are. Um, yeah, that's great. Um, any closing thoughts? Anything at all? 
No, just, you know, I always, I always said this film is a love story between one woman and her vagina. And I think we all should embark on that journey at some point in our lives, if not for the totality of our lives. <laughs> yeah. Amen. <laughs> that sexual health is important. I think the last thing I'll say too, is that I love that you brought up the Judaism element so many times because you're married to a Jewish man. The more I've researched that faith, which anyone that doesn't know, half the Bible is, is that. So, you know, learning the sexual ethic and how people in Judaism get to a sexual ethic that is not shame-based and fear-based is very inspiring to me because our faiths are similar enough that I feel mm -hmm. like it's less scary than going to like, like a fully secular um, sex educator if you're not ready to embark upon that. Look into Judaism and see yeah. how they process sexuality and pleasure and even how they discuss difficult topics with one another that with so much respect and also with like joy and excitement yes yes that's it we love you all so much thank you karen thank you so much for having me bye everyone bye